But if you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I will begin reading in verse 12. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 988. Page 988. First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So this week we celebrate Thanksgiving. This holiday began as a day of giving thanks and sacrifice for the blessing of the harvest and of the preceding year. During this time, many around the world, they gathered together with family with close friends, and enjoy the day of fellowship, eating, and conversations. If this is what you have planned for this upcoming week, I hope you have a wonderful time with whoever you are with. And as Christians, I hope you stop and consider the Lord and give thanks to Him for who He is and for all that He has done. I hope you will think upon His promises with gratitude, rest in the truth that all of his promises will happen. And that as his church, we are secure in his hands. Our marvelous Savior, Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from him. Each week we gather together And we worship the Lord. We have a prayer of thanksgiving. We sing songs to the Lord, and which cause us to have a thankful heart. And we sit under the preaching of God's word, which reminds us of the Lord's undeserved grace upon our life. But if Sunday is the only time, the only intentional time in which we stop and give thanks to the Lord, I encourage you today to have a change of mind and begin to give thanks to the Lord each and every day. The Lord desires that his children have an attitude of thankfulness, a heart of gratitude, and to pray without ceasing. And this is what we will look at this morning. 
In 1 Thessalonians, let me provide you some context. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica to address some issues that had emerged in this young church. He encouraged them to persevere during times of persecution, to not give up, to keep going, and to keep looking to Christ. He stressed the importance for them to live a life that pleases the Lord. Specifically within the realm of sanctification, Paul called them to a life of sexual purity for the culture in which they lived. The culture did not call for this, much like our own. He called them to walk properly as saints among the Gentiles, among the lost. Paul also taught them about the return of Jesus Christ in this letter. He addressed those who had already died with faith and the truth that whether we are awake at his second coming or that if we have already fallen asleep, that his children will live with Christ for all of eternity. As Paul closes his letter, he instructs this young church, the local body of Christ at Thessalonica, on what they are to do as his bride. Paul urges them to take care of one another, to take care of their own walk with the Lord. Look at verse 12 of chapter 5. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In all probability, this is the first or second of Paul's letters that he wrote, the other being Galatians. And before he closes this letter, he speaks to the known issues of the church, that each church has its issues. This young church, they already had spiritual leadership in place in which they were caring for the Lord's flock. And he addresses this. The local body is to have respect for as well as love those who the Lord has gifted and called to serve as pastors and elders. He says, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. Respect and love those who instruct you. That the work of pastors is important. They are keeping watch over your souls. As Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I can tell you as a pastor, those words frighten me. As those who will have to give an account, that I will have to stand before the Lord and give an account for what I did with the word of God to God's children. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So Paul instructed this young church to respect and love their elders. And after this important word, Paul next addresses that it is not just the job of the elders to serve as ministers, that the entire flock is charged to be ministers. Look at verse 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. So Paul urged them, meaning he called them, he begged them. He said, do not delay in coming alongside those who need help. Encourage and help them in ways that you can. See the need, be aware of the need, and do something about the need. As a parent, we don't look at our children and see things that need to be done and say, hopefully somebody will do that for them. The body of Christ should not do that either. This is a call to action. It is a call to do good. The first thing, look at verse 14. He says, admonish the idle or the unruly. That is, you encourage those who refuse to work for a living. You encourage those who are passive in their spiritual duties. You encourage those who are undisciplined. So this refers to those who are not going in the same direction that everyone else in the church is going. The unruly are typically those in the church who fail to use their spiritual gifts, those who fail to give generously, and those who fail to support the leadership of the church. It says we are called to admonish the idle or the unruly, to come alongside them and to encourage them. The unruly are those who have a rebellious attitude. These people are not to be ignored in the church. We are not to gossip about them. We are to come alongside them and encourage them and to help them. The strong in faith are to come alongside them. Those who are weak and care for them and warn them. You see, those who are rebellious are to be encouraged to get to work. For every Christian has a duty. And if you're thinking, that's right, amen, we got people that need to get to work. First, think of yourself. You always have times and seasons in which you need to be encouraged and spurred on to get to work for the Lord. These words of John Flavel are so good. It is the sin, even of the best saints, when they see how deep the knowledge of Christ lies, to throw away the shovel of duty and cry, Dig, we cannot. To your work, O Christians, to your work. The fact that we are to grow in our knowledge of God and the understanding of God, but we never neglect the shovel. We are to grow in the knowledge of Christ and we are to faithfully fulfill our duty as the Lord's children. And we are aware of those who are idle. We are to admonish them. Point number two, verse 14. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. That is, encourage the small-souled. Help the worried sheep. Help those who fear change. Help those who have experienced persecution. Help those who have lost someone. Those who are not bold. Help those who are timid. Encourage the faint-hearted. This encouragement of the faint-hearted requires words of wisdom. To encourage those in need, this requires wise words of counsel. To encourage the body, this requires you to be around the body. A big part of ministry is being with the flock. You will not know the needs, nor will you see the needs if you are not present. And you will also not be able to encourage the faint-hearted if you are weak in faith and lacking in the knowledge of God. Every member of a local church has the great responsibility to encourage the faint-hearted. Verse 14.3, help the weak. Help the weak. 
support and hold up the weak and feeble in faith. Help them learn to enjoy Jesus Christ. Help them to know Christ, to know the Word of God. Help them to keep fighting against their sin, to keep coming before the Lord and confessing and repenting of their sins. Help them to walk in wisdom, to live a faithful life looking to Jesus. You help the weak. You model before them and show them what it is to serve. Show them what it looks like to pick up a shovel and get to work. We are called to encourage the faint-hearted. We are called to help those who are spiritually weak. Look back at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish those who are idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. That's point four. Be patient with the Lord's flock. The body of Christ is to be patient. You know, it's very natural for us to make great demands of others, isn't it? I mean, it's natural. We wake up and we think about ourselves. It's natural. We wake up and we want things done according to our timetable and our schedule. Instead of encouraging others, it's much easier for us to demand so much from others. Patience is needed as God's children gather together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need patience. Not everyone is like us. Not everyone is at the same spiritual level that we are at. Some are mature, while others are new to the faith. So we encourage them. Some are very knowledgeable, while others need pushing on to maturity and growing in the knowledge of God. So we encourage them to do that. Some faithfully serve, and some need to be encouraged to serve. So we come alongside them, and we encourage them to serve. Some give generously, and some don't give much at all. They need encouragement to obey the commands of God. Patience is needed within the body of Christ. The idle need patience. The faint-hearted need patience. The weak need patience. We are to be a patient people because this is the Lord's flock. The Lord is patient with us. Look at verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. It seems even in this young church, some of the faithful saints have been wronged, but the answer is not evil. It never should be. The answer is doing good to one another, even when they are wronged. Paul addressed the local body in Thessalonica, and when he did, he addressed the issues that he saw that were happening in the church. He called them not to ignore the problems, but to respond to the problems, to acknowledge the problems, and to faithfully grow in Christ in the handling of the problems. All for the glory of God as his children. You know, it would not be wise for this church, the members of this church, to see problems and ignore them. But if we are completely honest, many of the reasons why we ignore problems that exist in the lives of others in the church is because we don't address our own. We need to absolutely make sure that we see to our own heart, our own soul. And look at what Scripture has to say and to make sure that what we see is correct biblically. But problems always need to be addressed even if we are the problem. 
and the handling of the idle and the handling of the faint-hearted, the weak. Patience is required, and we are to always do good and not evil. Then you get to verse 16. Rejoice always. That's much easier said than done, right? Imagine that you're this church and you're receiving this letter. You know that you're a young church. You know that you need spiritual maturity. You know you have problems going on and you're getting these words. Okay, I want you to address the issues that are going on in your church. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Paul addressed the horizontal relationships in the church, and before he closes his letter, he speaks to their vertical relationship with the Lord. That our personal relationship with the Lord is to be the supreme importance in our life. Our relationship with God is primary, is it? It should be. For it is from our relationship with the Lord that we are able to love and care about what the Lord loves and care about, which is His glory, His church. When Jesus Christ is not primary, His glory is not lived for. When Jesus Christ is not primary, your kingdom will be what you live for. You see, our relationship with God determines if we are a loving spouse. Our relationship with God determines if we are a loving parent and if we are a loving church member. If we are not taking care of our own soul, we will fail to spiritually love and care for the souls around us. And this includes your family and this local church. Verse 16, rejoice always. Literally, these words declare, at all times, be rejoicing, be glad, be cheerful. In a world of difficulty, in a world of trials and heartaches, this seems almost completely impossible, and yet we know that joy is found in the Lord, and joy comes from the Lord. Joy is produced by the word of the Spirit of God, according to Galatians 5, verse 22. The word rejoice is a present active imperative. We are commanded to always rejoice as God's children. We find similar language elsewhere in the scriptures. Philippians 4 verse 4 says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. James 1, 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So we are to rejoice in trials and persecution. We are to rejoice at all times. There's never a time as Christians that we should not be rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10 says, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is key. What is it that we are standing on? What is it that we are thankful for? What is it that we are looking forward to? We are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
Let's look at this together. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse three, about God's great mercy brings about our rejoicing as his children. First Peter chapter one, beginning in verse three. It reads, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So it is God's great mercy that brings about our rejoicing. It's our mind being transformed, our mind thinking upon what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Christ will do, that we have joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because as Christians we have Christ. John MacArthur put it this way. He says, truly joyful Christians will always have a deep-seated confidence in God's sovereign love and mighty power on behalf of his own and in his providential working of all things according to his perfect plan. Therefore, no event or circumstance in the Christian life apart from sin can or should diminish his or her true joy. So as Christians, the reason we rejoice, the foundation of our cheerfulness is the Lord. Our joy as Christians, it's not found in our circumstances or our possessions, but in Jesus Christ. You know as a time where family always gathers together with family and friends and we give thanks. And then the next following month we celebrate the truth that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, born of a virgin. He lived a perfect and sinless life at Christmas. We think about these things. And so often we can try to find our happiness, our joy, our contentment, our satisfaction in the things of this world And we know time and time and time and time again that those things do not satisfy. Our present circumstances, our current struggles, our trials, our suffering, we may not like, but we can rejoice because our hope is in the Lord. We know the Lord. So one thing we rejoice in is we rejoice in the character of God. We rejoice in the character of God. God is good. Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, the children, and children's children to the third and fourth generation. We have a merciful and gracious God. He is a God who is slow to anger. We are not immediately crushed. The fact that you and I are alive and breathing right now, God is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When you sin later today, His love is abounding. He is gracious. He keeps His steadfast love. He forgives the sin of His children. But He will punish the guilty. We rejoice in the character of God. We also rejoice in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is, we have been made right with the Lord, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope to the glory of God. So in Jesus Christ, we have peace. We rejoice in the character of God. We rejoice in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, Son of God. We also rejoice that we are sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, verse 30. We do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if saved, always saved, if you are saved. The saints of God will persevere. That is good news, and we should give thanks to our God that he just doesn't justify us, but he also promises sanctification and glorification, that if he has redeemed us by the blood of the cross, we are forever saved. So we rejoice that we are sealed for the day of redemption. We also rejoice in the promises of God. Philippians 3, But our citizenship is in heaven. So much of what we hear about is we are trying to be creatures who are content with our citizenship on earth. This is not our home. It says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We rejoice in the promises of God that all of his promises, every single one that we find and study and meditate upon in scripture is yes and amen. That one day his children will have a glorified body like the body of Christ. The list is endless. And as we mature in Christ in the study of God's word and the wisdom of God, we have more to rejoice about. Our privilege of having God's word. I mean, there's over 7,000 people groups that don't have the Word of God. Did you know that we're not any more special than they? Our freedom to gather together this morning and to worship the Lord, not worried if someone's going to pound down that door and drag us off and we'll never see family again. 
the sanctification that is occurring right now in your life, the fact that the Word of God will not return void, the fact that we can sit together and sing about the praises of God, the fact that you can hear God's Word, and five days later, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring that to your mind and will mature you at that point. How about our service to Him by His grace? That God's mercies are also new every morning. So as Christians, the reason we rejoice, the foundation of our cheerfulness is not us. The reason we rejoice, the foundation of our cheerfulness, it is all the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Those who rejoice in the Lord are to have a pattern of prayer to the Lord. This is the truth that we are to rely daily upon fellowship with the Lord, speaking to Him. And I will say this, if you don't pray, I would say you have a misunderstood relationship with God. That means prayer is, your relationship with God is not just reading God's Word. Your relationship with God is also you talking to the Lord. You need to have and be a man and a woman who prays. Speaking to Him. Yes, we need to speak to the Lord. And primarily, I don't know about you, but in my life, I speak better to the Lord after I've read God's Word and my mind has been transformed. We are to pray without ceasing. This is a mental attitude of prayerfulness. This doesn't mean that we don't talk to other people. This doesn't mean that we bunker ourselves down in a room and we stay away from everybody. No, you have an attitude of prayerfulness that you're always giving thanks to the Lord, always talking to the Lord, always thinking about the Lord. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I was reminded about this church in Thessalonica, and then I was reminded about all the other letters that Paul wrote. What did you find in First and Second Corinthians? You found Paul even writing to them, saying what? Man, you have all these problems, but he began the letter by saying, I give thanks to God for you. Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here is a probing question. The things that you're anxious about, the things that you're worried about, the things that are going on in your life, are you talking to God about those things? Or are you talking to other people about those things? It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Maybe the reason we spend very little time in prayer is because we don't have much belief in God. I recently read something by William Grinnell that impacted my life. He said, if you do not believe, why do you pray? If you believe, why do you not expect? By praying, you depend upon God. But by not expecting, 
you unravel your very prayer. That we come before the Lord and we pray and we often don't have faith. We sing things before the Lord and we often don't have faith. We open up our Bibles and we read what God has said and we have very little faith. James 1 says that we are to pray with faith with no doubting. We are to pray expecting because we are praying God's will. We are to pray depending upon Him because we need Him to accomplish whatever gets accomplished for His name and for His glory. That we are to rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Failure to pray is always a sign of self-dependence. Failure to pray is always a sign of self-dependence. I don't have time to talk to you, God, and I don't have time because I have my list of things that I must do, that I must get done for your name and for your glory. Do you see the problem? We need the Lord, therefore we need to pray without ceasing. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we rejoice always, we pray without ceasing, and we give thanks in all circumstances. So in everything, we are to give thanks to God. This is a command. We are commanded to give thanks in all circumstances. So it's God's will that we rejoice always, it's God's will that we pray without ceasing, and it's God's will that we give thanks in all circumstances, and a mature child of God will be thankful. They are full of gratitude, and they walk this life with thankfulness. So how can one do this? Maybe you're here right now, and you're like, that doesn't really define me. Number one, you know the Lord. You know the Lord. Now, I don't mean that you come Sunday after Sunday and you listen to a sermon or you go home and you listen to podcasts and you, you hear what other people know about the Lord. I'm talking about the fact that you know the Lord. You get alone with God. As a missionary once said, do you not know that you can go up the mountain yourself? You can go up the mountain and you can meet with God. So how how can I live like this? How can I rejoice always, be thankful in all circumstances, and pray without ceasing? How do I do this? You know the Lord. The Lord has opened your eyes to sin, and the Lord has opened your eyes to Him. You know the Lord. The second thing is you know the Word of God. You know the Word of God. You know the Lord is sovereign over all things. He is providentially ruling all things. You also know that there are things that are going to happen in this life that you don't comprehend, that you don't understand. But you trust who the Lord is because you know the Lord. Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. The key is, for those who love God, all things work together for your good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So Scripture paints a picture as if it's already done. That the promise that God has made is full and complete. It's going to happen. So as God's children we can do what He has commanded us to do. 
We can rejoice always. We can pray without ceasing. We can give thanks in all circumstances because we know what God is going to do. These verses tell us the Savior, Jesus Christ, did not just justify you and leave you. The Savior, Jesus Christ, justified you. He is sanctifying you, and one day he will glorify you. So Jesus is Lord over all, and this includes you. For those who love God, he is working all things together for good. I know you're not going to understand that at times. I know you're going to have seasons when you don't believe that, when you struggle. But when you are dependent upon the Lord in prayer and going before him, when you are giving thanks for all that he does, you will clearly see that he is working all things together for good. Everything has a purpose, and that purpose is his glory. Nothing in your life is wasted. We can think upon and rest in the promises of God and the good times, as well as the fiery trials. We can give thanks in all circumstances. This obviously does not mean that we give thanks to God for our sin. But in all circumstances, we are to give thanks to the Lord who is over every circumstance. The Lord knows what he is doing. We are to trust him and remain faithful in living for him. Even in our lowest of times, we still have the commands of God. Did y'all hear that? When you are depressed, when you are struggling, when you are broken down financially, when you are unable to get out of bed at times, please understand that as a child of God, you still have the commands of God. The Lord will grant great joy in your life many times when you will just get up and you have people who will push you and shove you to do the Lord's will and to obey the commands of God. You will find great joy in Him. The state of your spiritual condition this morning, it's found in these three things in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. This is your spiritual checkup. Well, how is that possible? We have so many things in Scripture that we can find. An individual who's not rejoicing is not thankful. An individual who is not praying is relying upon self, not the Lord. And if you're not giving thanks in all circumstances, that means you have much pride in your life. This is your spiritual Check up. What causes a Christian to walk this life without rejoicing? What causes this Christian to walk this life without prayer? What causes a Christian in this life to walk without giving thanks to the Lord? Here's a few things to think about. Number one, not knowing or doubting the Word of God. Not knowing or doubting the Word of God can cause you to not rejoice, to not pray, and to not give thanks. Not knowing or doubting the Word of God. Are you abiding in the Word of God? Are you studying the Word of God? Do you believe the Word of God to be true? Or is it just an intellectual exercise for you that has no connection to your heart? Number two, living for self. Selfish people don't depend upon the Lord. They depend upon their own strength. That's why when we walk through Proverbs, you are called to live a wise life, to seek wisdom, to get wisdom. You can be a child of God living for yourself. Number three, being impatient with the Lord. Things don't happen on your timetable. You don't get what you want when you want it. 
Over a period of time, you will stop praying. You will stop being thankful because things must happen according to you. Number four, misplaced love. A misplaced love. You might love the Lord, but you love this world. You love yourself and you love your pleasure more than you love the Lord. If this is you, prayer is usually absent from your life. Repent. Number five, a critical and discontent attitude. A critical and discontent attitude. Those who are always critical are usually critical of God. It's hard to give thanks when you're always discontent. It's hard to give thanks when you're always critical. Number six, you're angry with the Lord. Many don't believe that God is good because their will is not done. That's what they mean. They look at things that happen from their perspective and not from the Lord's perspective. Those who are angry with God are not rejoicing. Those who are angry with God, they're not praying and they're not thankful for the Lord. And number seven, very little service. Those who don't use their gifts... Those who rarely serve are usually thankless and critical people. It's a lack of service is also a lack of seeing God work in your life as well as the lives of others. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, Paul paints a hard picture of for us to look at, but he paints the picture of us before we were saved, if we are saved. In Romans 1, beginning in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the unrighteous, those who suppress the truth, the lost souls of this world... They don't give thanks to the Lord. Christians are to be the most thankful people in this world. Because what can man do to us? We received everything that we possibly need for this life and the next. Christians are to be the most thankful people in this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Most Christians, we need to think about this and ponder about this. We should be looking at our hearts more than we look in the mirror. You're going to fade. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Christians are to rejoice always. We are to pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this week, 
the next few days. Your schedule is going to be changed. Something's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. Something's going to say something that's going to bother you. You're going to be upset about something. We can still rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Because as God's children, we know that every single one of those situations is orchestrated by the Lord to for the purpose of our sanctification, our maturity. So we should do all things without grumbling or disputing or gossiping or using words in which don't benefit the situation. But we should say, Lord, you are growing and maturing me. I'm going to pause. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to pray that I would faithfully serve you in this situation. But I will rejoice always, pray without ceasing. I will give thanks even for this most difficult situation because it is about you and about your glory. It's not about me. So where are you with the Lord this morning? These words, these commands that God has given us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Are you angry with the Lord? Do you have very little service? Is there something else that is going on that you're not faithfully living for him, seeking him, serving him, loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? We are to be the most thankful people. And in where we are, in the country in which we live, the state in which we live, the freedom that we have, there should be no reason that as Christians who know what is coming, what Christ has already accomplished on the cross, there should be no reason that we are not seeking the Lord, praying to the Lord, giving thanks in all circumstances, for it is God's will for us that we do that. So let us be a thankful people. Let us be a people who pray without ceasing. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, even now, you have revealed things to our life from the power of your holy word. You have showed us areas in which we have spent too much time bickering and complaining about. Lord, you have showed us where we have not paused and given thanks to you. We have not prayed for things that are going on. We haven't stopped and just praised your wonderful name and found joy in who you are because we very rarely focus so much on you because we're focusing so much on us. Thank you for the forgiveness that is found in Christ. How glorious it is to see that even through this understanding, that even after you have redeemed us, the truth, Lord, that we never sought after you before you saved us. We were dead in our sins. We hated you. We didn't desire you. We hated you. How gracious you were to save us and how gracious you're with us in our sanctification. How glorious and marvelous you are, Lord. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You continue to forgive us of our sins, but there is a day coming in which you will no longer forgive the guilty. That you have called every man, every woman, every child to repent of their sins and to place their faith, hope, and trust in you. 
Father, may we as Christians live a life of thankfulness before you. Lord, in this week, in the next few minutes, we're going to fail. Praise God, our salvation is not based on our works, but our salvation is based on your Son. Thank you for your Son who justifies and sanctifies. Father, help us this week to be men and women who are thankful above all for salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.